Hi, Sarah. Thanks for coming on and talking with me today. Hi, Jake. Thrilled to be here. So I came across your work with your book, Selfishry. Um, would you describe this as kind of like your personal philosophy or spirituality system, both with with principles and, and practices kind of embedded in there? Like, is, is that kind of the way the way that you think about it? Yeah, there yeah. it is. Yes. Those those three colors, those three three realms. And yes, I would say it is a framework and there's tools and techniques that I want, I'm super excited to share with you. And before we do that, I would like to hear a little bit from you about like where you're coming from so that I know how to answer your questions. I feel like I don't want to just talk out into the universe. I actually want to talk to you. So would you mind just telling me a little bit like, what are you into? What, what has drawn you to do these podcasts and this podcast with me? Like where, where are you lit up? I'd love to hear. I think one of the, I guess the weirder ways about how I approach this kind of stuff is I, I don't think about it that much. I kind of just like, like stuff resonates and I'm like, that's interesting. That, and I kind of just follow that. Like I, I get a feeling of when, when something like hits and I kind of just keep going down that road. And like, like we were talking about a little bit before we started rolling, uh, for me lately, that's mostly been in the Eastern spirituality and philosophy world which is how I ended up finding your work because you did the uh, podcast with Raghu Marcus on the Be Here Now Network. Um, so for me, there's there's something about that way of thinking and that way of living. Mo mostly for me, it's been um, Taoism and Zen Buddhism. Um, there, there's something about it that, that resonates with me. And I come to find out like that there's, there's various people like musicians and businessmen before that I had figured out, like in retrospect, I think that's what it was like Rick Rubin, for example, if you're familiar with him, he's, he's very Taoist, Naval Ravikant, people like that. It, like I'm, I'm just now starting to put those pieces together. So then kind of going into the people that, that they were learning from and the philosophies that, that they're carrying out has been very interesting to me. Um, and w with you specifically, w one of the things that I find interesting is be because in exploring this, this world, I'm kind of just, been doing it based on my own curiosity. And with that, it's, it's fun because it's free. But on the other hand, like, I don't have somebody telling me like what sequence to study or like how to study things. So there's, you get kind of like, you can quickly get overloaded with all this information. You're trying to figure out how to navigate it. So with, with you and your book, one of the things that I find cool is whenever there's somebody who's kind of went down that path and has been extracting, I guess, some of the more fundamental principles from these various schools of thought and practices and kind of putting them all together. That that's something that's, that's always been interesting to me because I kind of like w one way of approaching it could be that you, you pick one path and you just kind of like do it like, like with Zen, you could do that or what, whatever it is. Like you could pick one path and kind of follow their way. But for me, I have this like weird choice anxiety where I, I don't have one yet that I, I want to drill down on like that. So I kind of like, like I had mentioned you, um, Alan Watts and Ram Dass, who's been an influence and teacher to you, they, they do that in a way that I like. Like they kind of blend these various traditions together and and pull some of the essentials out because like some of the practices and some of the more detailed things, it's not aren't they're additional, but they're not as fundamental. And me being a beginner into this, I'm kind of looking for some of those more fundamental pieces. So for you in, in your book, that, that's kind of what you do. Like you're drawing out from this this long period that you had in exploring all these different schools of thought, you're pulling those things out 
so that that's that's kind of what i'm most interested in right now is like exploring these different areas that are interesting interesting to me and trying to see like what some of the common themes and patterns are love it i love every bit of it and i love that you're doing this at your age right as so you're a junior are you a junior now or I'm what a senior are you now yeah you're I'm, a senior. I'm 22. You're a senior, you're 22, which is kind of when my journey began at about your age as well. I don't know if you had a chance to read my memoir or, um, okay. So I have a memoir also called mm -hmm. being selfish, my journey from escort to monk to grandmother. I think I'm going to change the title of that at some point, but that's another conversation. <laughs> um, so I, what I love what you're, what you're saying, what you're naming is now at 60, I wish I had somebody like me to talk to when I was your age, right? Yeah. And so because of exactly what you said, which is, can somebody just make this like simple and clear? Like, seriously, you guys, this is way too like ornate or intricate or lofty. And it's not really down to earth. Like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> Yeah. And I swear to you, I felt like nobody knew. I went to the rabbis, right? So yeah. I was raised Jewish. I went to the Orthodox rabbis and Kabbalah. I went and did psychotherapy. I did yoga. I did all these things. And I just, nobody ever touched it. Like you're saying, like none of it ever really, little bits of it clicked until I met this guy named Sam, who's the character in my book, who's a real guy. That's just not his real name who was living out in Oregon in the middle of nowhere, had studied and practiced in Zen Buddhism. I met him and he said, Sarah, stop chasing after these, the enlightenment or happiness or freedom or whatever you want to call it. Just sit down and shut up for a while and everything will become clear, right? And I said, well, great, Sam, you know, who's going to pay my rent? And I was, right. I had, at that point, I was in my mid 20s. So I was, I was finishing my, my master's degree. And, um, but at 21 or 22, I had back two back to back pregnancies and abortions, which were very challenging, not mor morally challenging, but like, emotionally and psychologically yeah. challenging in a way I didn't understand, you know, so Sam said, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for everything, take a sabbatical, come for a year, just meditate, just like, get quiet, study the text, like all the ones that you're mentioning, right? Read Alan Watts, listen to Ram Dass tapes, L read about psychology, read about Kabbalah, read about, you know, Taoism, read it, and then contemplate it and just let it simmer in you and meditate, start a real meditation practice. So I was like, okay, I can take a year. And that year turned into 10 years. And 10 years of really, really like deep. And here's the thing, Sam was a radical character, still is. And you'll appreciate this because in Zen Buddhism, if you're a student of Zen, you know that the fundamental teaching is there is no self. Buddhism in general says there is no self. Mm -hmm. Like the self in you that wants to get enlightened, you don't have to try and get that one enlightened. What you have to do is just don't identify as that one, right? And then the, it's there. Ram Dass calls it, right? Like go into nobody training, enough with yeah. the somebody training, right? So I was like, okay, what would happen if I just like let Sarah die essentially in through a meditation practice? And we also were silent a lot we fasted a lot. It was very like voluntary simplicity, close to nature. Neither of us worked. He had family money that supported us. Um, very, very simple and ascetic life. And, you know, 
I mean, my father thought I was in a cult or something, but <laughs> I felt like I was finally coming home to myself and given the space to do that. Because certainly my father, bless his soul, wasn't capable of answering my questions. Um, so yeah, so that one year turned into 10 years. And um, I would say, and then I'll pause and you can ask more questions. I would say that what happened for me in those in those in that decade was I got to the place of no self, you could say I experienced that awakening, that intuition, that knowing that experience that and whereas Sam was clear that his intention was to die in that state, what happened for me was this longing to go back into life and and live from that place. Yeah. And he thought I was deluded and, you know, and um, that I was making a big mistake. But after 10 years, I made the leap and I said, I, there's something once you go. So Ram Dass would say we go into somebody training when we're born and that, you know, developmentally and you're a psych major. So, you know, developmentally, you want to give a kid a sense of security and identity mm -hmm. and let them individuate and all of that. And then People like you and me and your listeners, I'm sure, have this moment in our 20s or 30s or whenever that's like, oh, my God, this something weird is going on. I need help sorting this all out. Right. So then we go through nobody training if we run into somebody like Ramdas. Right. And nobody training is to get to a place of realization that the self is a construct. Right. And what I noticed, Jake, and I'm curious to hear how you respond to this, what I now notice, it wasn't as clear of this 20 years ago when I came out of retreat, but my sense was, yeah, it's important to go through nobody training, but that's not the end of the line. Then it's about an integration of somebody and nobody. Whoa. That's where I felt like, okay, now I'm alive in a way that I have always dreamt of being alive. Yes. Yeah, so so yeah. Yeah. So in, instead of being in that, it, it sounds like, like Sam wanted you to kind of stay in that state where you're separated in, in some sense from, you know, like you could call it the world of, of form and this, however you want to think about it, like this world that, that we are typically interacting in, he wanted to stay separated from that but you, you wanted to kind of take that state that you had gotten in and then go back into the world with a newfound perspective rather than like, than, than the one that you had started off with. Exactly. What, what was his issue with you going back? <laughs> well, you're going to have to try and find him, Jake, and ask him <laughs> yourself. <laughs> okay. So he, he didn't explain that. Well, I would say it this way. He really, he really, really believed or realized, and this is this is an interesting question. It gets nuanced and subtle here. Did he have some kind of psychological trauma or orientation that he, you know, had this huge aversion to life? Yeah. Um, he was celibate. We were celibate all those years. You know, there, no intention to have kids, nothing like that. It was really a march towards realization and death. And I, for a while, I thought, I thought, you know, I wasn't sure, is he right? Am I like going back into form and, and suffering and delusion? Should I stay here and die? And I thought to myself at that point, because like you said something interesting, you said in the beginning, I know when something like hits me right, right? Mm -hmm. You have a 
have an intuitive sense. I can feel it yeah. in you, right? So, so I, I decided to trust that. Yeah. I mean, that's what took me to Sam in the first place, right? So I decided to trust him and I said to him, I said, you know what, if I end up being wrong, I can always come back here and get back into, you know, 10 hours a day of meditation yeah. and fasting and silence and die there. But something in me is pulling me back, right? So, and it was 9-11, which is probably, well, you were born right after 9-11, yeah? Uh, what year yeah, you yeah, 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 01. 01, you're born in 01? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you were born in the year 9-11. Yeah. So that was the, yeah. the incident that found its way into our little hermitage and broke my heart open. And I said, I, I have to go back into the world. So since then, what I would say to your question is, I don't know what the ultimate goal is. It may be to get off the wheel of karma in the way that Sam is saying it. I really, but what I do know is what feels not right from a psycho-emotional level or even an intellectual, but a, a deeply intuitive level. This is what's right for me. And maybe that's right for Sam. Maybe he's deluded. Maybe I'm deluded, but I don't know. I'm not going to really worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that that getting into your intuition is, I, I think, probably the thing that I like most about Taoism and Zen is that I, at least that, that's what I've gotten from it. And again, you know, I, I haven't I haven't studied all of the Zen masters. I'm not I'm not especially well read. It's, it's mostly been Watts. So, so his, like he, he has a certain flavor in kind of uh, interpreting those messages. But for, for me, and like I mentioned, Rick Rubin, that this is basically like his his crowning advice when it comes to creativity is, is just kind of getting in touch with like how you actually feel about certain things and then just being willing to trust, trust that without over intellectualizing it and trying to like make sure that you can lay everything out. Like so, at some point you kind of just like you have a gut feeling and, and you follow that. But w- w- what's, what's interesting about what you said is that there's, there does come to be a point where it's like, okay, I've gotten in touch with that. And that, that, that takes a lot of work actually to like unwind a lot of the conditioning and stuff and like pull off mask after mask and like think through things. But there, there does come a point where you go, okay, now what? And then, and, and that's, that's, that's when like, you kind of make the choice of I either sit in this state forever or I like go out and, and do something else and like do something with, I guess this state and like the things that I've learned. So for, for me, that that's kind of, where I've, I'm at in, in some sense and why I've gone like a little bit more broad. Like for a while I was like Taoism and Zen were really interesting to me. And then, and then I, I got to a point where I was like, okay, I feel like I, I have a, at least a much better sense of like being in touch with that intuition. And I'm not sure, like the, the, the sense of self thing is, is very interesting. And it's, it's a fun idea to, idea to play with for the, for much of it. I've, for, for a, a long time, I kind of avoided, um, much of the metaphysical ideas just cause I was like, for, for the time being, like, we'll deal with that later. Like I'll, I'll just kind of stay like boots on the ground a little bit more. Yep. But one of the things that interested uh, me about Ramdas, and it seems like Alan Watts has a similar uh, idea is that, and, and you talk about this in your book is that idea of, of source that like original essence before the actual form. And that, that's an idea that has been very interesting to me just recently. So, so getting into, I, I guess I'm not even sure where I'm going with that, but like getting into th- those kinds of teachings and those kinds of ideas, like, like you mentioned, um, and going a little bit more broad has, has been compelling to me lately. Yeah. <clears throat> Beautiful. I think that makes a lot of sense and, and is very wise. 
especially, so here's the thing. Historically, every organized religion, every philosophy goes through a transformation and goes through like a reformation, 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 right? Um, to accommodate for the context of the times we live in, right? Yeah. So that was part of my curiosity is like, I don't live in the 1800s or I don't live in the time of Jesus. I, I mean, I live in the 21st century and there's a whole different context here that's yeah. going on. So how do these teachings, that was my issue with Judaism. You know, it's like, okay, well, how does this apply to a modern, postmodern Western woman, right? Right. And the answer is you got to dig. You got to yeah. dig really deep in all of them. And what you're doing is like you're going right to the essence. Right. I love that. I'm trying. And that, right. And well, here's the thing. And that's where the intuition like pours out of is that connection between self, what I call self and source. Mm -hmm. Now, you use the word form for the self, which is good. That's another yeah. word form and formless. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. What is, um, I mean, there's so many different names for these two poles of, yeah. and I like form and formlessness. I think it's really a beautiful expression. Um, and, and the question is, is that once you realize the formlessness, the form doesn't disappear. That's what yeah. Sam was doing. He's waiting for the form to disappear, right? Yeah. And what you and I are doing, we're like, okay, the form is still here. I now understand it in the context of the formless so my whole identity has changed as a self yeah. still here but kind of you know like like ramda says so i have tea with my neurotic self yeah. you know i don't take it too seriously right yeah so so then for me the question is well then what's the art of integrating those two poles rather than bouncing back and forth from form right. to form which makes you crazy. And rather than just staying in one, which also makes you crazy, right. I kind of felt like, okay, there's something about how they play together. And so that's where the map of selfistry comes in. It's like, there is a self, there is a no self. There is a form, there is a formlessness. What is the uniting factor? What is right. the thing? And maybe you can speak to it. Like, what would you call that part of yourself or your experience that allows you to be in both worlds or of this world and not in, you know, in this world and not of this world, being like yourself, being Jake, but also being nothing at the same time. Yeah. What is that quality in you that you would say oh. helps you do that? Do, do you mean a quality as in, as in like, like a, a name or a label or as in like a characteristic or a, an approach? Yeah, both. All of the above. However, you would give language to it. Oh, man. I, I, I don't know if I have language to it. Okay. I, I think, I think, um, it's, it's, it's not that I could, it, I, I bet if I, if I thought about it long enough, I could find a way that, to formulate it that, that works for me. But I, I, I guess with these, with the, with these ideas being, being so new to me, it's kind of, I, I think it's something, I think it's more, that's just something I haven't figured out yet. Okay. I, 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 I think, I think mostly it's like, it's something that I'll kind of just like try to do, but I, I really, I really don't have a good, like a good, uh, structure for doing that. Or so for, for, for you, is, is, is that, is that what you would refer to as, as the artist or artistry or, or are you referring to witness? 
I'm referring to, well, the witness. Okay. But, but it's yeah. interesting because I, I want to draw it out of you because <laughs> okay. the thing about me and selfistry is that I offer this framework, but I want you to live into it because <clears throat> I feel like this these three realms that I've identified in selfistry are those foundational building blocks in every metaphysical and mystical, spiritual, and even scientific framework, right? That's everywhere, right? The Holy yeah. Trinity, the, I mean, it's just everywhere. So, so my whole thing is let's get down to like bare bones, red, yellow, and blue, primary colors, you know, positive, negative, neutral, right? Yeah. Uh, all, of the, all the polarities and then the third factor, they're everywhere. And then you tell me how those live in you and how you're experiencing them, right? Yeah. So if you don't call it the witness, now you know that that's what I'm calling it. I can tell you already have it and are experiencing it. What would <laughs> you call it? Um, well, I think I, I, I didn't think about it as a third thing, which is one of the interesting things in, in your book is that uh, I, I was interested in exploring and exploring the difference between witness and source. Cause I, I had never, I had never thought about a third one. So I just kind of thought about like, like there's, there's these two and they kind of just like dance back and forth, but I hadn't thought about like a, a, like a third piece that kind of fits them together. Oh. So I, I, I guess that's kind of where I'm at. And I'm just now working that out. So I, I guess, uh, could, could you, uh, help explain what some of the differences are between witness and source then? Yeah, that's so cool. beautiful. So beautiful. So here's the thing, and this is this is when I have the conversation. So Ram Das is, you know, on the back of my book, you see he wrote a beautiful endorsement for the work and for me. Um, and to be fair, you know, it was those days in retreats when I was listening to all his teachings on cassette tape in those days, if you even know what a cassette tape is. And then I got to meet him later in life and and retreat with him and spend some time with him on Maui, which is when I was able to share with him my journey and my story and this work. And that was his first question, right? and other spiritual teachers who uh colleagues that i've known same thing well source is the witness like what's the difference so this is the way that i experience it and see if you resonate in your body and in your mind is that i go into sarah land selfhood right very clear i have my you know in selfistry, I like to take the self realm and break it up into instead of different parts of my psyche, I call them each a self. Yeah. And they each have their own story and background. And there's a number of reasons why I do that, but it's not, you know, it's not uncommon in certain psychological fields, right? So we want to be careful for people who have genuine mental illness that, you know, we're not talking about schizophrenia here. We're talking about the average human that has, you know, lots of different voices in their head. Right. Yeah. So that's over here. Then on the other end of the pole is what I'm calling source or formlessness. Now we could say energy and matter. That's another yeah. way to frame it. And my experience was in order to get myself whatever that self was, there's one self that wants source. There's 8 billion other ones that want everything but source, but there's at least one that wants source, right? So I'm like, it was Sam. I'm like, how do I get there? None of these selves want to sit in meditation. None of these selves want to go there. It's like, I'm battling day in and day out. He said, keep battling. 
And what happened was I was able to take a deep breath and start to see myself, make them object. Now, I don't know if you have any, if you've studied Ken Wilber's work or spiral dynamics or anything like that, but we can bookmark that maybe for another time because I think you would really enjoy that, right? So there's this notion in that work that when we use our consciousness, so here's a word you might resonate with, to observe ourselves, even though obviously I can't get outside of myself, but there is a way I can observe myself. And somehow, as I was observing myself through meditation and mindfulness, you know, I was practicing it as I was walking in the woods and making dinner and taking a bath, all, right? But I, my life was simple and slow enough that I could put my attention on it regularly. And that's a lot of what I do with my students is like, I know you can't go on retreat for 10 years. I did that so you don't have to, but here's what you can do, right? And so... So slowly, it was so magical, Jake, like slowly I was able to, oh, look, there's Sarah, the good daughter. Oh, look, there's Sarah, the artist. Oh, look, there's Sarah, the, what, all the different Sarahs. And I started to recede and rest as what Ramdas calls loving awareness, right? Now, you could say loving awareness is source. However, when we look at the whole spectrum from source to self, from ultimate emptiness to ultimate form, right? From pure energy to dense matter, there is a spectrum. It's not just black and white. It is infinite shades of gray. And in those infinite shades of gray, we can either identify as a self or as a self that's leaning towards source until she gets all the way over there and poof, right there yeah. it is just source right so rather than bouncing back and forth or coming back into selfhood and, and pining for that state because it is a state what i wanted to do was integrate it and i found that this consciousness this ability to witness and to observe myself to be self-aware to be this is what mindfulness is in the Eastern traditions. It's not a like a self-consciousness, like, oh, look, I'm angry, right. I know I'm angry. It's a self-awareness. Oh, look, there's an angry self in me. That's yeah. not me, I'm this awareness. Oh, wait, I'm not even this awareness. I'm, there's no I yeah. left, there's this awareness. <laughs> Just, yeah. So the third one is the integrator. The third one is like, you know, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. There is that third factor, even though it's kind of invisible and there really are only these two and actually there's really only the one, you know? Right, so yeah. it's, that third factor for me was like, oh, this is artistry. If I can rest as this observer and play with all myself, I don't have to, I don't have to exile them. I don't have to make them wrong. I don't even have to heal them. I don't have to do anything with them really, though part of the artistry is doing certain things with them. I can just like be in the flow of life from an observer state, from a conscious self-aware state. It's like, oh, that's what I'm doing. And I didn't know that I was doing until people asked me like, what are you doing? There's something you're doing that I wanna be doing. <laughs> right? yeah. And then selfistry was born. And that's when Ram Dass said, oh my God, I get, cause first he was like, hmm, I don't know, Sarah, witness, source. Well, yeah. yeah, and then he was like, ah, 
loving awareness. I am loving awareness. When the I am disappears and all that's left is loving awareness, that source. And and then the the witness is that additional that that I that's added into it. It's like it's like a little bit. There's still a sense yeah. of me there, but it's not like me, ego, you know, self-absorbed. This is what I want with my life, which is all super beautiful. Like, I don't want to denigrate that. We are, we have personalities. We are ourselves. They don't disappear. They suffer when they don't understand themselves in the context of source, which is what religions kept trying to help us figure out, right? you know, and so, and mythologies and stories and, and, and metaphysics and now science are giving us a context for our selfhood. And then the mediator is this self-awareness or is this sense of, oh, I'm both of those. Well, if you say I'm both of those, then you're not just one or yeah. the other, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So, so adding in that, 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 that third element, like help, helps you think about like being aware of both in tandem where like if, if, if it's, if it's just source, then, then it, it would be hard to make the statement that like I am source or because you'd be like talking about, and, and, and then you run into that, like the eye that can't see itself problem. And right. like, this is kind of, so for you with witness, is there a difference between like conscious awareness and unconscious awareness? Like, would you associate unconscious awareness more with like, or I like it, I guess, by, by conscious, I mean like something that, that you could frame into words. Like, would you associate that more with, with witness than source? Say that again, the conscious awareness, more witness, like meaning I'm conscious that I'm aware. Yeah. And, and like, like are, are able to kind of state it in, in like a phrase or a saying where it's because off, often it seems like what I'll hear about with, with source is like, it's, it's something that, that you can't put in words anyway. Yeah. So like, like out of that would grow. Right. It is, but we do it anyways. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is why you said, I don't know if I have words for it. And I'm like, okay, but, but words help orient us. They aren't, you know, there's the classic, it, it's the finger pointing to the moon. It's not right. the moon itself, but we need, I needed somebody to point the moon out but, to me and I still <laughs> do inside myself, you know, but let's so, make it, let's make it real practical. This might help if you're willing. Were you going to yeah. ask something? Yeah. Uh, actually, actually go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, and then we'll, we'll circle back, but let's make it really practical it might help you understand these three realms is like, okay, let's say, okay, you're seeing we're going to, I'm going to use you as my little experiment here, you're a senior, you're going to graduate college, right? You have the, all these options in front of you. Like, should I go to grad school? Should I, you know, do I want to get married and have kids? Do I want to, you know, get a job? Do I want to move? Do I, huh? I want to get dogs? Do I want you know, what? <laughs> all these questions, right? How do you make your decision? I, I think I, I think I would probably start with laying out different options. And then right. as, as I'm doing it, like I, I would lay out, I, I guess I, I think I would probably go about by laying out my priorities for my life and then lay out different options that seem like within my, my grasp, at least for first steps, and then figure out like how of, of each of those, like of those options, like what, what elements feed, what priorities for, for each one and like, which ones take away from which ones I I'd, I'd probably look about, look at it like systematically to some extent, but as I'm doing, it, I try to pay attention to like, if I get a feeling about 
like this one feels better than this one. Cause often like there's, there's a certain framework that'll use, I, I think it's called, um, I think OOC EMR, um, for like decision-making, which is, is just kind of like, like what I was explaining of just like breaking things down in that way, which I have found helpful, but there are times when I'll break things down where I'm like, okay, logically, like this makes sense for this, this and that, but this one feels a little bit better. And then usually I'll go with the one that feels a little bit better, but it is, it's helpful if, if I'm like, if I'm too fully intuition and in making a decision like that, it's, it's a little too vague and like, and too misty. So like laying things out is helpful. And then once I've laid things out, then I can kind of, I, I can look at it on paper instead of like having it in my head. And then, and then from, from there, I'll kind of figure out which one feels, feels better for me and go from there. I, I think that's, that's probably how, how I would approach it. I love it. So what I would say you're doing is first thing you're doing is you're checking in with yourselves, right? You're checking yeah. in with the Jake who has conditioned desires, right? Based on right. what your parents wanted for you, your grandparents or society, your friends, right? So you have Jake that like your natural archetype, your own, you know, uniqueness and what he wants and like all these different selves come forward and say, okay, this is what we want to do next. Right. And you right. take them all. Okay, now here, listen, who's the you that's taking them all and putting them on a list, right? And using your, which brain is that, that does the rational? It's your left brain. Uh, I think left. Left brain, right. Okay, I always yeah. mix them up, right? So, so you're using that brain, you're using one side of your brain, right? To, which in that science is starting to get defunct, yeah. debunked also, but whatever. You're, you're using enough. the logical part of you, parts of you to make those lists. And let's make a distinction here because this is super important. There is, and I know you can feel this in your body. There's a huge difference between emotion and intuition. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, and this is so important. I think this is where so many of us get so confused. So, so your logical selves, this is what we go to grad school, go here, go there, has emotions about that, you know, like, oh, that would be fun. And then maybe you have one like, no, that sounds really scary. You know, like there's emotions on both ends of the spectrum, happy and sad that are going to show up there. And then what you do is because you're already stepping back, you kind of step into, well, what's my intuition, which is the part of you that's connected to source is how I would say it. Yeah. And listening, like, where is the river of life taking me? Where is, quote, I'm putting this in little quotes, source want me to go as if source has an agenda. <laughs> right. But imagining that the universe has an intelligence that is moving through us, we have this moment, this pause. What you're doing is pausing. You didn't answer my question by saying, oh, I know what I'm doing, Sarah. The next step after you graduate college is you go to grad school, <laughs> right? You're like, I don't know. I'm going to put it all out there and then I'm going to, I'm going to feel into my intuition. Like, where am I being moved to go? That's how you change your, I would imagine that's how you change from being a business student to being right. a psych student, right? A psych mm -hmm. major, because you, you experienced your own crisis of identity through an illness, you could say. And yep. it was like, oh my God, where am I going? Who am I? What is going on? Right? Yep. So, so that's how I, I would practically employ this is like, take an inventory of all of your selfhood, rest in loving awareness, listen, you know, feel into intuitively, where are you moved and then just go with it. Because the minute you make a decision, all these selves are going to come forward and argue with you about it. No, that wasn't your intuition, loser. We're supposed to go this way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like
So trusting that and then really leaning into letting your life be lived from an amplification of the witness realm and the source realm, which is what in, in postmodern Western society we're lacking. You know, we got a lot of good self-work and a lot of good psychology that work on the selves and heal traumas and, you know, all that kind of stuff, regulate the nervous system. The witness is a regulated nervous system that is able to see multiple perspectives, different ways to go, and then just, it's almost like an animal right? Feel the wind, feel, you know, hear all the sounds and just know whether to go left or to go right. It's very, it's, that's what I call artistry. That's yeah. the artistry. Yeah. It, it, it seems like it has a much more like that, that witness that, that you're talking about. It, it seems like it has a much more holistic kind of awareness or perception and, and like the, the selves are the more logical analytical, like, like even right. Yeah. Very specialized, like very spotlight. So like it, it, it seems like it's, and this is something that I've been like kind of working on, on deconditioning, just like in, in upbringing and in school, like being a, a student in the United States, um, you know, th there's a lot of emphasis that seems to be put on like, on, and it, it, it even sounds weird, weird to criticize, but like on, on being logical and rational, but it seems like, like there's a lot that's missed in that. So for me, like much of the last like couple of years has been like untraining that to some extent and you, you don't want to completely abolish it, but because there's, there's certainly times where like I, I go too far with that too. And I'm like, well, you could have thought a little bit better. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, but I, yeah. I, I like the point that, that you made about intuition being different than emotion because, yeah. and th this is one of the things that, and I've, I'm, as I'm sure you can tell at this point, I've, I've been very lazy in articulating my approaches so far, even to myself. So like, I, I'm like, I'm trying to like figure out how to express, express these things kind of on the spot. Cause I haven't done it before. So this is actually a fun exercise. Um, right. but the, the thing that I've found interesting about Taoism and Zen is like, there's, there's a, for, for me, you know, that it's, it's kind of that finger pointing to the moon kind of thing. You know, th those two traditions are very much like that. And, um, for me, it's, it's helped me get in touch with that, like, deeper, whatever you want to call it, that deeper conscience or intuition. And so often like the way that I'll, I'll say it is all, all, all to my, it, to myself or like to other people, I'll, I'll say like, I kind of just do whatever feels good. Or I just kind of like do what I want to do. And to some people, their first reaction is to criticize that and like say that that's impulsive or say, well, well, you don't, don't just want to act on your emotions. I've, I've had, I had somebody on, um, on the show recently where like we went back and forth a little bit about that, um, where I was talking about that and he's like, well, he, he was, he was criticizing and, and to some extent for being impulsive and just acting on emotion, but it's not the same thing. It's like, it's a different, so like usually when, and I, I grew up in the sports world too. And like, there's a lot of like, usually if you'll say like, I just do what feels good or I just do what I want to do. That's associated with like indulgent pleasure, but it's, it's not the same thing. So like usually, you know, you, you, you always hear that short-term pain, long-term gain and, and the reverse kind of thing, but like, this is not what, it, it's not the same thing. Like you can have both at the same time and do something that like feels good. If, if you're not just like too overwhelmed with, with the chatter of like the surface level emotions, which is where like the short-term, uh, the, the, which is where like the short-term pleasure becomes a problem if you're just being impulsive, but it, it ha it's been an interesting and I, I think I think the the, the witness is, is a is a nice way to to articulate it and like kind of give it some kind of like body in a sense 
of saying like like that's that's the thing that is like in touch with that that deeper emotion and, and intuition whereas the selves are that more like surface level chatter in a sense like is, is that kind of how you think about it i do and i think first of all i would never use the word lazy that i i do not experience you as being lazy but that's really important because i think that my sense of you is that you know you understand what i'm talking about you have an experience of what i'm talking about and by articulating it in some way you will be able to embody it more yourself and also help other people or share with other people what yeah. you're experiencing and i think that this distinction between pleasure or emotions and the buddhists once you get it you know taoism and zen buddhism are very like they give you the gestalt like just stop being a self right and some of us can't just do it right so then there's these canons in hinduism and buddhism and and you know that that tell you okay start here like like do this and one of the main things is to help us make this discernment between pleasure and emotion let's say happiness right and right up there with pleasure is pain right up there with happiness and sadness those are all emotions right and they're beautiful they're part of our humanness but when we talk about when I'm using the word intuition, and again, this is where you're going to have to find words that work for you. And then we get to figure out, are we saying the same thing? Right. Yeah. But I think intuition, many people confuse their intuition with like what what this person was accusing you of, of being impulsive towards pleasure or an emotion. You're actually it's it's almost like a deeper. I feel it is more embodied. It's just kind of like a knowing. I feel like yeah. everybody is in touch with it, but they just get confused. And somehow by breaking them apart into these theory realms, I'm noticing people are getting more clarity of like, oh, that was a self that was driving the bus. I want the witness driving the bus. How can I get her back behind the wheel? Well, you have to pause and stand back and look at it and reflect it. What was that? Have a friend help you. Well, that feels like an emotion, not, oh, that feels like intuition. And then we yeah. find our way. That's how artists are artists. It's messy sometimes, you know? Yeah, but, yeah. R Rick Rubin calls that. I, I think. I think he he calls it most often the inner knowing, and yeah. like th there's there's various ways that that you can think about it. But I, I th that feels like, it, in any way, like to your point about like giving some labels or clarity to these things. Any any way that you can kind of like, I I think think about it or give it a, a label that that you you can give it something where you're pointing to 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 it and saying like. Okay, that's what that is, and that's how it's different from emotion. Whereas, like, it, it's hard to tell the difference if you don't like really think it through, because because yeah. then then like, and I've done this plenty of times. Like, there are times when I'll think that I'm acting on on intuition, and then in retrospect, I was like, oh, that was Me too. stupid. I do that all the time. Yeah, and, and I'm like, oh yeah, I was definitely just acting on emotion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's it's part of the process. And and the thing is, is that, again, we don't want to denigrate emotions like when. So here's the thing. When we're following that inner knowing, we're not always happy, but there's a certain peace and contentment and and joy. Like for me, that's like the deepest happiness, even when I'm upset or grumpy or, you know, like whatever, going through the, just the normal weather patterns there's this underlying connection to source that's going, oh my God, this whole thing is so cool. Like the whole thing, you know? And I'm not chasing after just trying to hold on to happiness 
or yeah. in our society, fame or fortune or, you know, like all these things that are fleeting by nature, you know. But when we live from here, from this place of contentment, there is happiness. It comes, you know, but it's like it's not that big of a deal because we're deeply in awe of all of it, which is where Ram Das ended up in the end of his life was just like, you know, beaming from a place of wonder, you know, and it was beautiful to behold. It's like he and he, as you said, he was very human in his process and his neurosis and his he's a great example of coming home to yourself in a human life. And I love that that teaching has found its way into you and your generation, right? So you're like my kids' generation, right? And it's just, it's, and you're giving it new words. This is a new, this is a new, because Ram Dass could have been my dad, right? He was like that generation. Yeah. Like this is a new, self-history is just my way of framing it to help me talk about what I've come to know to be true. But I'm not wedded to this language or this framework. It's just a tool. It's just a finger. Right. Let's hang out on the moon together. That's what yeah. I'm interested in. You know? Yeah, I, I'm, you made an interesting point about happiness versus that versus that deeper level of peace, which you talk about in the book and discerning between the, the two. Um, I, I think the way that Eckhart Tolle talks about it is he, I think he said something along the lines of like love, joy and, and peace are the three feelings and emotions that aren't dual, that aren't dual. They're not okay. dualities. Whereas like happiness, like, like you're talking about, like are, are sitting on poles versus like there's, there's, there are those deeper feelings because one of the things that, that you could come to mind or, or that could come to mind if you are worried about the pro like, like the, the yin and yang problem of emotions where like you can, like where the, the happiness is only defined by the sadness. And then like, you kind of run into that problem. W one of the, one of the worries is like, okay, well, some of these spiritual leaders are talking about peace and love. Well, it does the same thing apply there. Like, like what's the alternative to that? Like, is that, is, is that an, an issue where, where like, you don't want to get wrapped up in grasping too hard, but what, what they're talking about is they're saying that, that those feelings are kind of just the default state before you even go up in, into the dualities, which are like, like the emotions that are a little bit more surface level. So could, could you touch on, I guess, the, the way that, that you discern between happiness and peace? Yeah, so what I heard you say is what Eckhart Tolle calls joy, love, and peace, did you say, those three? Yeah. Okay, and that, that that's like the foundational, you know, state of a human being when all of the chatter of our mental and emotional and even physiological realms kind of recede into the back background, right? Yeah. So, so, so yeah, you know, I think those words... Again, whenever we're using language, it's so important to have a conversation with somebody, like to understand, to unpack what we're talking about rather than just, you know, delivering the words. Because what I mean by love, you may mean an emotion. And right. I'm talking about a state of being, right? Yeah. Not a fleeting emotional state. So, so that's where we have to kind of unpack it and say, well, Hmm. What is that? What's the texture of that? What does it feel like? What do you notice about yourself or your life? I, I feel like I have, a, I know there's a very clear difference inside of my being that sense of, I call it contentment or ease um, or peace. Love works, um, though it does get tricky because we are so filled with like craving right. for emotional love. But um, 
but it's hard to convince people, <clears throat> you know, it's hard to convince people because we're so in our society, we're like the next hit, you know, to be happy or to be high or to be on top of it or to be successful or to make money or to, and it's, it's, it's killing us. It's killing our planet. It's killing our, you know, you could say, if you believe in soul, it's like, it's killing our souls, right? That's not our natural state of being. Sure. We're creative and we like to make and have cool shit. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just the drive for it is a sickness. Right. And, and, and I feel like, there's a lot of sick people walking around on the planet right now. And it breaks my heart. Yeah. yeah so do, do you think that, that the problem is more like, uh, I'll try to figure out a way to say it, like emotions that are like, like positive emotions in the sense of like a positive statement, whereas like something like, um, like peace is like not, it's not something that, that you have to like, that, that you go out and get. It's just something that's already there as a default, like, like in the four noble truths, like he, he avoided, positive statements and instead focused on negative statements. Like he, he didn't say like, like what, what you want to do is like, go get this feeling or get that feeling. You just want to remove the suffering. And then by default, you'll have this feeling that like you, you could divide it up in several ways, I guess how you want to, but like often it's, it's described as a, a permeating feeling of peace or love. Yeah. Yeah. I think that works. Does that resonate for you to say yeah. that way? Yeah. That, yeah. That, that's kind of, yeah. And, and like, whenever we're like, we're, you're talking about these fundamental feelings, like it, it's hard to figure out how to like, 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 like you said earlier, we could just be using different words and talking about the same thing. And I think you're at, at like, I, I think, I think we're at that point whenever we're talking about that energy It's like, like, like whether you, I, I usually think about it as peace. Yeah. Um, I know Ram Dass will often talk about it as love. Hmm. Um, yeah. But it, it seems like, like to, to your, or I, I guess to one of the themes of this conversation of like trying to get to the, the essence of certain things, like that, that feeling is like, you've kind of boiled it down to that essence and then whatever word you want to put on it, just so that you can identify it. Like that, that's kind of just like, do, do whatever you want with that in terms yeah. of naming it. Yeah. Call it tuna fish if you want. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start using that. Uh, did, did you have a problem in or a struggle in the beginning of uh, like on, on this journey that, that you went on, did, did you have trouble like reconciling with the disorienting nature of like kind of dissolving all these aspects of self that, that you had identified with? What was it peaceful for you? Or did you have moments where it's kind of confusing where it's like, okay, now what? Like all these people know me as X, Y, and Z. I know me as X, Y, and Z. And like, this is a weird kind of uncomfortable new start. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I think I, it took me 10 years, you know, I mean, I think it's a, it's a long process can be, I should say. And it wasn't a question of dissolving all those identities. It was more like seeing them, right? Seeing them and accepting them and loving them and re orienting my center of gravity in this place of wonder and curiosity that that witness consciousness right and from there i would say that um and this is why i i really love being a guide or being a teacher is because i feel like i could have had i could have used a little bit more guidance 
when I was in retreat on how to navigate that piece. I think you're very wise to be sensitive to that process of deconstructing our selfhood, right? And to take care in how we're doing that and also to be attentive to our relationships. Um, it can be very selfish, right? In an unhealthy, selfish way. And I like to make the distinction between a wise selfishness and an unwise selfishness, right? The Dalai Lama talks about these two different poles. One is a selfishness that is really devoted to self-awareness and self-knowledge and self-discovery. And by definition, that means sometimes pushing relationships or a job or a way in order to carve out the time and space and the container to do that kind of work in. An unwise selfishness is more like what we were just talking about, which is this, this unbridled, you know, craving and chasing after pleasure and, 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 and stuff or stoof, as my granddaughter would call it, like just chasing up, like that's an unwise selfishness because it's, there's collateral damage all over the place. With a wise selfishness, there's a ripple effect some people may not like it. We can talk about my relationship with my family, how it was it was hard to navigate all of that. And, and coming back into the world was really a challenging transition for me as well. So I try to make it easier for people to do this kind of exploration and discernment and, and kind of disintegration of the self without, without making it wrong, without destroying it. It's sort of like there's everybody's going to have different selves that are really going to try to hijack and take over and drive the bus. And they're going to need maybe some therapy or, you know, some extra care. Other ones will yield, you know, happily. So it's a very unique journey for every person. And, um, and I'm very, very, um, I just love, like as Ramdas says, walking each other home. And I think one of my superpowers is being able to be in an intimate relationship with a, you know, a fair amount of people and guiding them through this process and helping them find their way. Because I know I didn't come up with anything new, right? Like Ramdas didn't come up with anything new, but something about the way he was realizing it and coming home to it touched me and he guided me, you know, and it was super beautiful. Alan Watts to all these guys, whether in, and it they don't have to be in physical form, but I think it helps to have a real yeah. life, real time conversation personally like this. So, well, yeah, I, I mean, know. especially because I can, I can ask personal questions whereas like, yes. like uh, otherwise you're kind of just like trying to figure out like how to, uh, how to piece different teachings to, to your own context. And there is a danger there, which is like, you have to do it right. Otherwise you might just like go down the wrong road which is a, a worry that I have when, like I was talking to you about like why I like learning, especially in beginning stages, learning from people like yourself and, and Watts and Ramdas who have like kind of synthesized teachings because I get, I get overwhelmed. Like when I'm trying to read original texts, I'm like, yeah. I, I don't know. Like the Tao Te Ching is a great example. Where I'm like, what is this guy saying? Like my first couple of reads, I was like, I, I, I don't know what to do with this. Like, yeah. I think maybe I get it. I definitely can't explain it. But I, I don't know. I'm not yeah. confident. So for you in uh, in that period that, that you were in of 10 years, how, how did you navigate that? How, how did you figure out like how to explore these different texts and schools of thought and like piece them together? Well, I also gravitated towards those like Alan Watts and, and Ram Dass and um, 
Joseph Goldstein and, you know, these are people who, you know, who were synthesizers and integrators. <clears throat> and, um, and I read a lot of also just personal stories and memoirs of people on spiritual paths. But I think more than anything, Jake, what really saved me or guided me was I somehow, you know, I trusted, I trusted that like Sam said, if you sit down and shut up and listen and contemplate and give yourself some time and space to wonder about being human or about the planet or about, and nowadays to wonder about quantum physics and cell biology. And yeah. I mean, there's so many things that are literally awesome. Like the only response is just awe, right? Right. And I just trusted something inside me that was like, I can figure this out. Like, you know, I'm okay. I'm not like a rocket scientist, but I'm not an idiot, you know? And most of us are like in those million shades of gray. Like I could figure this out. And I just, you know, went with that and trusted that and it served me well. Yeah. Did, did you have any kinds of practices to deal with you know, whenever you, you turn the faucet on and, you know, maybe there were some things that, that were being repressed. Like if you, if you open the floodgates, like you can get bombarded. Did, did you have a, of a way of working through some of those things or were you mostly focused on meditation? Did you try things like, like journaling to like write things out and look at them? Like what, what, what was the way that, that you dealt with all these things from throughout your life that just kind of like flood your head? Yeah. That's a great question. I think you'll, you'll maybe read the memoir to get some more details about that. But okay. the answer is yes, absolutely. Because like I said, there are some selves that need our loving care and attention. So I had a lot of different things I tried. Um, I'm very much into, like I studied with a Native American teacher for a while. I'm really into ritual and I'm an artist and I love to do collaging and journaling and movement. Um, and I think there are many therapies out there that are super beautiful and super helpful, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy or internal family systems, which is very close to the self-esteem model as well. Um, I also do practices like yoga. I've been a you know, yoga practitioner and teacher for, you know, since I was 19. I'm so for 40 years, right? So there's lots of different methods and tools. I think the key here is to understand to what end we're using that tool for. <clears throat> so this is where I like really creating context and getting back to the basics. Like if you think you're going to meditate in order to become wealthy, that's not how I'm going to use that tool in selfistry. Right. You're welcome to use it for that's to me, that's a self using the tool to get what a self wants. And sometimes it works. I would say for 99% of the people, it doesn't work, right? But that's what's sold in the marketplace. Most people can't meditate to wealth, but one or two people can. And then they, you know, try to say everybody can and sell you programs for a million dollars, which makes them rich. But no, that's too degrading. <laughs> Um, but so, so I feel like there are tools that are for the self, and then there are tools for becoming self-aware. And so there are many, you know, journaling can be used. Um, like I said, all the ones I said, therapy, pranayama, yoga, um, just talking, having friend, you know, in Judaism, I don't know what, what were you raised in a religion in a, in a religion? 
Christianity. Yeah. Okay, so in Judaism, there's this whole part of Judaism where young people like you would just sit and read from a section of the Torah, the Tanakh, and debate it. Which, which what it meant was they were struggling with it. They were trying to figure it out, right? So there's a way in which, like, that was a way of dealing with themselves, right? So there's infinite amount of methods and tools that one can use. If you know what you're using the tool for, then you're more likely to get to this place of peace and ease that we are talking about. So, so ha having a goal or an outcome that, that you've kind of clarified that that you're you're trying to use something as a tool for is like much better for like clearing out the path. I mean, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's like, why would you you know, if you need a screwdriver, why would you use a hammer? You know, it's like, like, figure out what your goal is first. And then we can talk about how to get there. Some people, you know, it's like being lost in the forest. You know, some people may need to refill their water bottle. Other people may need to have a walking stick. I don't know. I mean, each person is going to be unique in that regard. So how, how did you approach that going back out into the world? It wasn't easy. I was really blessed. This also goes back to my trusting. I was really blessed. I met my husband as I was, my now husband, as I was transitioning out of um, my retreat. And he's about 12 and a half years older than I am. And he was around way back in the day. He knew Ram Dass from way back and was already on his own journey um, for a long time. And he basically, you know, carried me across the threshold from my monk phase into my grandmother phase. He has two children and through his son, we have three grandchildren and he's traveled all around the world and he's been involved in different spiritual communities and practices since he was 19 as well. And so um, I felt really blessed to have him show up right? It's kind of a magical story how that happens. But it's it's sort of like when, and Ram Dass used to say this too, like when you really start to move from that ground of ease that we're talking about, and we understand the nature of the selves and how they arise, exist, and fall away, thought forms and emotions, and we have a deep reverence and love and connection to source, we can trust the river of life and where it takes us. And I made a decision to trust that I was supposed to go back into the world and I felt carried by that knowing and that decision. And it doesn't mean that, you know, it's all been, you know, uh, a bowl of cherries or whatever the phrase is, but it has been super beautiful. And living from that ground is really what, what has saved me, regardless of my life circumstances. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, you mentioned art. Has art always played a role for you in spirituality? Like, was that was that a big piece for you in that in that ten years, or has that picked up more since since you left retreat? How, what, what's the relationship been like for you with art? I've always loved art since I was a kid. You know, I always loved everything arts and crafts. So that creative expression was always in me. And then 
kind of like what we were just saying, once I was able to apply it in a certain way. So sometimes when I make art, I just like tune into source and my intuition and see what comes. And sometimes I'll do art that will actually, you know, explore a different self or be able to see it or understand it. So, um, cool. I, yeah, so, and same with movement. Um, Self-history has a movement practice, a somatic practice to it. And some of it is self-work and other, you know, sometimes it's source work and sometimes it's witness work. So um, anything, anything can be used um, in any of the realms is the way that I say it. Do, just do find you find, sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying just find what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you find that having these, these experiences that, that you've had and articulating these things out in the way that, that, that you have has enhanced I guess your ability to like express yourself better in art and like more clearly or closely or or has it always been kind of like like you've always been able to do that fairly directly i don't know i don't know i mean i kind of feel like everything i do is art i view as art like even making mm -hmm. dinner you know cooking or or caring for my house or my garden or my body and my clothes my hair you know i mean i feel like the nat one of the for me at least the natural expression that comes out of this ground of joy and love and peace that we're talking about is inherently creative and so our lives become our art and uh, so the notion that you know oh i can't do art i don't do art is the the story of a self mm. i think that we look around creation is everywhere beauty is everywhere and we're a part of that. And so I don't know if it's been enhanced, but it certainly um, has been fun. And um, yeah, and I and I love it. And I love playing any kind of art. So it, it's, it sounds like it's more just about getting out of your way. Yes. And then it's kind of just naturally there already. Yeah. And then the selves who are into art kind of piggyback on it and they get their desires met and they're happy, which is great, you know, and, and I'm here connecting to source and the kids are in the back of the bus eating their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and having a good time, you know? <laughs> yeah. For, uh, for people like, like myself or people kind of just starting off and into this world, um, in terms of like, so there's, there's texts, there's practices, there's, there's your book, um, what would you recommend as like as like a first starting point? Would it would it be just sit down and shut up and go from there? I think for me, what I've noticed teaching now for a number of years is it really is case by case. Yeah. Um, for some people, sitting down and shutting up, they just can't. I mean, I generally like to start right where people are at, meet them right where they're at. Um, which is kind of like today, like I just, I wanted to know where you're at, who am I talking to? But pretty soon thereafter, I'm going towards context, right? Like, okay, let's step back for a minute and figure out what is this, what is your life goal? What does happiness mean to you? What does success mean to you? What are you struggling with? What's your worldview? What religion, do you believe in God? What's, you know, so we start to, and I introduce these three realms pretty early on. And then from there we discern like, oh, for you, Jake, you know, maybe meditation would be a great practice for you to take on, or you might want to do therapy on this or come to a self-history retreat and, you know, we'll play around with all of these realms and help you 
ultimately what I'm helping you do is tune into that intuition inside of you, which you're already tuned into. So I would just like turn the dial up with you. <laughs> well, th thank you for coming on. Um, th this has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I, I really appreciate your time. I'll, I'll, I'll link your, your website and the, the selfishry book along with your memoir um, with, with those or along with those, do you have anything that, that you would like to let people know about? No, that's a great way to get in touch with me and see what's going on. I work privately with people. I run classes and retreats and, um, and I'm always happy to talk to people and, and, and hear what's, what's troubling them or what they're wondering about. And, um, yeah. So just find me if you're drawn, if you're moved to find me, find me. I'm here. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you, Jake. It's been a pleasure.